Thank you, Rick. I just uh, picked that text just to see how well you would do. Our real scripture this morning. No, not really. But, you know, I'm going to try that one time. Uh, Last year this time, we did something that uh, I had really never done before, and this church hadn't done in a long, long time. We had a stewardship campaign. You remember it, right? How excited you were that we had a stewardship campaign. We liked it so much. Well, I liked it so much. We're doing it again. Now, was it that heavy? Uh, I, I laughed this week talking to uh, one of you. I won't single you out, but uh, one of our uh, visitors for the last year uh, uh, called me uh, the week I was planning this, the, the Sunday before our first stewardship campaign, and asked a bunch of questions. One of which was, "Does your church have like times of year where you just talk about money and encourage people to give?" And I was like. Well, not normally, but we're doing it on Sunday. And well, what do you do? Do you do you ask people, you know, how much money they make and and how much uh, they should give? Well, well, no. Does people do? That? Yeah, yeah. I've been to a church that did that. And I told this individual, well, just come to church on Sunday and see how we talk about money. And they're still here. They're here today. So so I guess it wasn't that bad. We didn't bombard you with guilty pleas for money. Instead, what we did was spend three Sundays. A book ended our congregational meeting talking really not even about money, but about the ministry of our church, about your commitment to this church and what it means to all of us. And on the final Sunday, we had what we called a commitment Sunday where you, well, a few of you filled out commitment cards. And then we kind of did them the rest of the year and turned them in ways that we hoped we could in our church life branch out. That was our theme, branch out with our time, with our talents, with our treasures in service to the church. And I think it went okay. So why not do it again? Because, well, it's actually been kind of a good year in the life of our church. There are new faces around us, new people stepping into leadership, new ministries. We anticipate making budget this year, which is an exciting thing. When we, when we have more gifts coming in than we're spending, that's a good thing. Next week at our congregational meeting, you'll get a chance to vote for that proposal that the building planning team have been working on, a proposal for the future of our facilities and to begin a capital campaign. It's an exciting time in the life of our church, and it's all because we preached on stewardship last year, right? I mean, yeah, I got a few preachers in the room. We preachers want to take credit, but the truth is it has little to nothing to do with what was preached. I don't even remember what was preached. But God is moving, and that's something maybe we don't think about a lot. We don't talk about We don't see God moving in our lives. But God is moving in our church. I believe that. And in so many ways, you, as Marty talked about, the people, that's what makes our community special. And you are stepping out and becoming the people of God. And it's a joy. It's a deep pleasure to sit back, to stand up here and see, to sit back and watch. You be the church. That's what it's about. But let's be honest for a minute. This thing we do, church, it's still a little weird, right? I mean, maybe we're used to it, but it's weird. I mean, here you are on a Sunday morning, all the things you could be doing, and here we are singing together. Where do we sing together? Coming to drink cheap coffee and delicious but too sweet snacks. To share little pieces of bread and shot glasses of Welch's. It's weird to do church, to share life together in the way that we do. But the weirdest thing of all about church might be that word commitment. 
Commitment's not something that's very popular in our world. It is countercultural to be committed to something, to someone, to an institution like a church. And rightly so. Churches have not always handled this commitment thing well. Churches have been too demanding. Churches have taken advantage of people. Churches have used guilt to get gifts and seats in the pews. May we never, ever transact in guilt here. But in spite of our imperfections and challenges of being church, I still believe, maybe I'm the only one, and maybe it's because it's my job, but I still believe that commitment to church is important. That what we do here is important. Who we are is important. Our mission in our community is important. That all of this is actually worth it. It's worth our time and our talents and our treasures and all that we give in support of this mission. And it's weird, but you know what? I think a lot of people in our world are looking for weird. Weird is what the world needs more of. Just last week, I talked to someone here in Norwalk just a few days ago, and they shared with me how they haven't been to church really in a long time because of the guilt they had felt when they went to church. In particular, they told me the story of an actual sermon they witnessed where the pastor shamed people who had been divorced. And they sat beside their mother, who was a divorcee, who gave her life to that church. And they felt embarrassed. They felt insulted. They felt assaulted. And I don't blame people for leaving church after that. And I told this this person, well, you know, all churches aren't like that. And then I got to tell them about you. They started asking questions. I told them stories about you weird Norwalk Christian church people. About a church that is open and welcoming to all that is not by the bait shop anymore. Or not by the hardware store anymore. And I hear the bait shop's moving. But there's still some things that we are, some weirdness, some, something special about our community. I told them about your faith and how you don't take it so seriously that you don't ask questions, about your faith and how you seek justice and peace and desire to, to cooperate with other churches, with other institutions and communities, about how you believe that Jesus not only changes your life personally, but that through us, Jesus changes the world. And they found it refreshing. And yeah, it's weird. It's weird. But I believe God's calling us to be weird, boldly so. Do you believe that too? Weird people, do you believe that too? And Marty mentioned last week in her sermon that this sort of in between, well, October 31st was the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. That's why we sang the, the hymn that we started with this morning that Martin Luther himself wrote, a mighty Fortress is our God. On October 31st, 1517, this German monk who had long quarreled with the church nailed on his local church door in Wittenberg, Germany, 95 theses, 95 arguments against the church. Now, some of you have complaints, but not like this guy. He's got 95, and they were well thought out, and he nailed it right on the front of the church, and it spurred what has been called the Protestant Reformation. 500 years of churches reforming and fighting and splitting and new churches developing our own church tradition comes out of this long line of reformation. 
It was a moment of awakening for the church where many people said out loud what they had long realized, that the church had stepped in the way of people and God. And instead of drawing people into God's love, they were pushing people away, putting up barriers and requirements that were unnecessary. A lot has happened in 500 years, good and bad. As I mentioned at the table last week, the slogan of the Reformation was the church reformed but always reforming. We've made a lot of improvements in 500 years. And churches, well, we move a little slowly. One of the weird things about us. There's a lot of work, a lot of reform left to do. Because still, in my conversation this past week, we can see that Christianity is still seen as being divisive and dogmatic. Many question a faith that can so easily be co-opted by by self-help teaching, by partisan politics, a faith that requires you believe things that no one could possibly believe, a faith that focuses too much on the afterlife and not on the life here and now and people that are suffering here and now. But religious historians tell us that another reformation is afoot. Some have said every 500 years, the church kind of airs its dirty laundry and cleans things out a little bit. And we're 500 years since the last cleaning up. The church is realizing once again that we have stepped right in the way of people in God. We need some reforming. And I believe we are at this critical time, this edge of this new world, a new reformation. And it's refreshing. I think it's needed. It's going to be painful, but it's needed. How will we respond? In our scripture text today, the Israelites stand at their own decisive moment several 500 years or so ago. We've been following the people of Israel for several months now, from the exodus out of slavery to this moment where they're finally on the edge of this long promised land. They've just wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years, as people tend to do. But now Moses has died, and it's time to move on to a new life. Joshua is their new leader. It's a time of transition, and they stand on the edge of a new world. How will they respond in this moment? Our text begins with Joshua inviting them to draw near, to hear the word of God, he says. God is going to give you a new land. This is the promise. But first, we've got to do something. First, you need to act. And so Joshua gathers 12 elders. See, when Moses started off, Moses tried to do everything himself, and he almost killed himself. Joshua knows that's not the way to lead, so he gets 12 people around him. And these leaders, as they gather together, the people start packing up their camp, and they head to the Jordan River, which is the border of this new promised land. And the 12 elders then pick up the Ark of the Covenant, which is the seat of God's presence among the people, and they carry it on their shoulders, and they begin to head towards the river. And what's going to happen? We're told it's flood season of the Jordan River. Forty years ago, Moses had parted the Red Sea. You remember that story as he stuck his staff, the waters parted. But Moses is dead. Who's going to part the sea now? What are they going to do? They've come this far now. What? But Joshua has a vision. And he orders the 12 elders to go out into the flooded, raging Jordan River with the ark of God on their shoulders, this heavy piece of equipment that if you touch it, you die, they say. And yet they are to stand in a river that's raging. And these leaders begin to walk, lead the people into the river. They get their feet wet. And the story tells us that upriver, the waters are held back and dry land appears. And they stand right there in the mud as the people walk across the river into the promise. They do as Joshua commands, and the waters part. And I know what you're thinking. What does stewardship 
and the Reformation and this kind of weird old text have to do with each other. And I'm glad you asked because the sermon would be a dud unless you had asked that. But I think that's where we are today. We're the people of Israel, the church, our church, us standing at the edge of a river. We're not in the promised land yet, but we're right there at the cusp, the edge We've been on a great journey. Our mission statement, maybe you've seen it on our coffee cups, sharing the journey. And we've shared the journey well. We've shared a lot in our life together, and it's been a long journey. There's been different leaders step up and go, different challenges we've had to face. Good and bad things together. The journey has brought us right here. Whatever has happened, here we are at the edge of this river. So now what? How will we respond? What does God have for us next? To be honest with you today, I don't know. And I bet you don't either. But that's the thing about this journey with God being the people of God. You don't always know what's ahead. But if we're prepared, if we're a people that's willing to follow, to take risks, to do whatever it is that we need to do to be the people of God, then we will be prepared for God's promise, whatever it may be. See, Martin Luther didn't quite know what he was getting into. He was just kind of a ticked-off monk. And he posted these 95 theses. They started getting spread around the world. People responded to the message, and he led a movement of reformation. And the Israelites, here they were on the cusp of a new world, a new challenge, a new land, and they didn't know what they were getting into. But they got their feet wet. They stepped out. The waters parted, and the promise came to them. Our stewardship campaign this year we're calling Growing Into God's Future. It's a playoff of last year's theme, Branching Out, because God has a future for us. It's not all about the past, but it's what God has ahead of us. And so the question we ask today is, how is God preparing us, you? How is God preparing you for God's future? What do you need to do in order to enter into God's promise? How is God calling you to lead to step out. What is God calling you to give? What is God calling all of us to become and to do so that we can become the kind of weird church that God is calling us to be and that our world longs for? As I said earlier, I believe with my whole heart that we have a unique, weird role right here in Norwalk, right here in what they call the Founders District even, on this block, in this place, on this dirt where we've been for almost 150 years, God has a purpose for us here, a role that we should not shy away from, but that we should embrace with boldness. Do you believe that too? Church, do you believe that too? And if so, maybe we should get our feet wet first. Amen.